Good day to you, fine people of God. I'm Pastor Cole McClendon coming to you from Central Assembly of God, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. I trust that you will find great value in listening to this message today. My hope is that you're encouraged and strengthened by the word given and that you will return to this site frequently to listen in. Be blessed. I've fallen, but I will get up. The following words were written on the tomb of an Anglican bishop in the crypts of Westminster Abbey. When I was young and free, my imagination had no limits. I dreamed of changing the world. As I grew older and wiser, I discovered the world would not change. So I shortened my sight somewhat and decided to change only my country. But it too seemed immovable. As I grew into my twilight years, at, in one last desperate attempt, I settled for changing only my family, those closest to me. But alas, they would have none of it. And now as I lie on my deathbed, I suddenly realize if I had only changed myself first, then by example, I would have changed my family and from their inspiration and encouragement, I would have been able to better my country. And who knows, I may have even changed the world. I want to speak to you today about a man who could have easily become a victim of the same regret. Despite utter failure, he was able to recover and become one of the greatest leaders the church has ever known. There are others I could have chosen for this message. The Old Testament has several. I love to preach about Joseph, who could have remained in a pit of despair when he was betrayed by those closest to him. Could have given up. And then there's David who kind of from an opposite perspective started off with a huge blast, a rocket ship blast, slaying a giant that should have been impossible for a pea-sized guy to take down. But then you know his story and you know that he fell into an inappropriate relationship and could have stayed down, could have been taken out by his own failure and lack of passion to follow God and God's ways. But he overcame. And then there's Gideon. If you know the story of Gideon, Gideon never did think he could be something. And, and had he challenged God multiple times to, to become what God knew he could be and how God knew he could use Gideon. But it is the apostle, you know him, Peter, that we'll focus on today, who went from glory to failure. Now you know why I chose the title, I've fallen, but I will get back up. 
midstream about yesterday afternoon I was starting I wanted to change the title but I had already sent all of these people that do electronic things the title because I want to change it to get back up let's read from Luke chapter 22 you they'll have it for you here on the overhead and we you can take notes when I mention the electronic stuff if you have our app and want to follow along and take notes Inside the app or on an other electronic device, you can do that now. But uh, we're going to begin with Luke 22 at verse 24. Then they begin to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. Jesus told them in this world, the kings and Great men lorded over their people, yet they are called friends of the people. But among you it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank, and the leader should be like a servant. Who is more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? The one who sits at the table, of course, but not here. For I am among you as one who serves. You've stayed with me in my time of trial. And just as my father has granted me a kingdom, I now grant you the right to eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. And you will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me, again, strengthen your brothers. And Peter said, Lord, I am ready to go to prison with you and even to die with you. But Jesus said, Peter... Let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me. You will deny three times that you even know me. Let me paint the scene for you. Because we cut right into the middle of a scene. and We preachers are supposed to help you with context. So let's paint the scene. You know the scene. Leonardo da Vinci, I believe, is the one who gave us this scene that we've come to know as the Last Supper. In fact, they're still reclining at the table. And what should have been a solemn moment for deep reflection is interrupted by a childish dispute. Have you ever had solemn moments interrupted by a childish dispute? Anyone who has children and has done devotions with children has had those solemn moments where they were interrupted by a childish dispute. 
<laughs> Everything from you've got my or how come he why does she get to to much lesser things like breaking wind. Just stuff interrupting those childish, those childish things interrupting solemn moments. And it happens with Jesus and the disciples. They begin to argue over who would be greatest in Christ's kingdom. And if they knew why Jesus was sitting with them and what he's about to share with them, they would have never gone down this lane, but they're, they're human. So they start arguing over who's going to be greatest in his kingdom, and, and then they hear about betrayal. Jesus breaks up breaks it up by reminding them of servant leadership. That we read in this passage. He talks to them about servant lead, leadership. Those who would be greatest in my kingdom must become least. And then Jesus throws them what I call this spiritual and mental curveball. Before I go a step further, let me at least explain to you all the curveball. If you've not played baseball and you've not been on the other side of a curveball thrown by a capable pitcher, a, a good pitcher can make you jump out of the batter's box by throwing a curveball ball that'll come right at you and yet go right across the plate and be a strike. It literally curves as it travels the path. I had a wicked curveball when I was in high school. I could make you flop backwards and still throw a strike. Jesus does that with these disciples now. Go back to verse 28. You've stayed with me in my time of trial. And just as my father has granted me a kingdom, I now grant you the right to eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and you will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. He begins in that section by throwing them a bone. You know what, a, what this means. I'm using that as an analogy here. But he throws them a bone by encouraging them for staying with him for his ministry life. My hour of trial. He, that's the words that you read. But the, it wasn't an hour and it wasn't, he hadn't yet gone to trial. So you have to know and understand Jesus is speaking of something that we don't recognize and the way it is just written in that case. So he's not talking about his hour of trial. He's talking about them walking with him in his life. How many of you know that the life of Jesus wasn't all easy? I got to stay put now. They don't have that roving camera today. So Jesus 
in that, that moment, he's throwing them a bone and he's complimenting them because uh, he, he's saying, you've been with me. How many of you in this place, you don't have to confess it, don't have to raise your hand, but your life and walk with Jesus hasn't been easy. We think when we come to Jesus, it's all going to be good. He's going to work everything out. For Pete's sake, did you not read the word? Haven't you seen Jesus? I'm saying Jesus. He healed people. He delivered people from demonic oppression. He raised the dead. And yet, he was constantly in controversy, constantly being accused, falsely accused, constantly attacked. People always thought they knew better. So Jesus compliments those disciples for, you've been with me, guys, and I want you to know I appreciate it. I said it was a mental and spiritual curveball. It's spiritual because Jesus starts to talk to them about his kingdom. And that is a spiritual kingdom, a fact that they still would not grasp, despite him saying it again. It's spiritual, though. We know it because we have the beauty of hindsight and the word we have that. They didn't have that. They're still looking for Jesus to set up a kingdom. So all of this language now is throwing them, it's throwing them a curveball. But he is saying to them, it's spiritual. It's spiritual. This is a spiritual kingdom that he's now setting up and that they would be a part of him. And he throws them this mental curveball as well by talking about serving and sitting on thrones in the same breath. Serving, sitting on thrones. It's a curveball. What do you mean, Jesus? We're supposed to be on thrones and yet we're serving? Have I set the tone yet? Do you get it now? You see the picture? This is all happening right after they've taken communion. I've always taught, despite Jesus' attempt at explaining his death and his kingdom, the disciples did not and would not get it until he's ascending into the heavens and the angels are looking at the disciples and they say, hey, why King James? I, I remember the King James style. Why stand ye gazing up into the sky, into the clouds? For in like manner, the one that has gone up from you will return. And they're still reeling. They're still all caught up in their heads. What is, I don't get it. I don't get it. Thrones, he's leaving. Kingdom, serving. What I'm saying is that they're confused. Now, they would have been thrilled to hear about thrones. That was part of the argument, right? Lord, who's going to be greatest in your kingdom? Oh, you are going to have some thrones. You, are, you will see to, sit in a seat of judgment. You will join me in this task. 
what he didn't say to them. You know, like the rest of the story, Paul Harvey used to say, I know that's too old for most of you, but he used to, the, the rest of the story. He didn't tell them the rest of the story. You're going to go through hell before you get to a throne, boys. Oh, you'll have a throne, but it, and I will establish it, but it's going to be different than what you think. And in the middle of all of this, Peter faces the dark reality of his humanity. Perhaps it's because Peter is the loudest and proudest that Jesus calls out his name. But he's not just talking to Peter. He just calls out Peter's name. Because he says, when he says, you will have thrones, that's plural. He's not just talking about Peter. He's talking to all of the disciples in that moment. But he calls out Peter's name. And here's something I need to say, and I need you to catch this today. Maybe it was because of how God would ultimately position Peter in the church. That he calls out his name. I need to pause here for a moment. You've got to catch this. Somebody listening to me right now. You're in a similar place that Peter's in. You have all kinds of reasons in your head as to why you are going through what you're going through. You don't know tomorrow. Is it possible that the way God wants to position you in his kingdom or his kingdom's work that you are going through what you are dealing with? Oh, you've got one thing in your head, but it's not the thing God has in his head. It's not what God has planned in that moment. In this moment, maybe you're walking it out. Maybe somebody listening to me online right now, you're in the middle of a mess and you think you've got it figured out why you're going through it. And God's over there going, mm, hold on, bud. You got to trust me. Because think about it for a moment. Jesus, this is Jesus telling his disciples. He's having this conversation with his disciples. Are, are you listening to me? This is God talking to his disciples, the future church. Jesus knows they don't get it. He knows they don't get it. He knows right now, whatever you're going through, you don't get it. You don't get it. You're measuring it by the stuff you know, but you don't know everything. You don't know the fullness of God's plans for your lives. You don't know what path he's going to walk you down. You don't know your, the rest of your story. He does. And if in order to set you up for the rest of your story, he has to take you through the story of Joseph, if he's got to get you through that, that pit of despair and false accusations and imprisonment to get you where you ultimately are to land, 
Trust him. Trust him. That is the very essence of faith. Peter's shocked. Jesus makes the statement before the cock crows. You will deny me three times. Even knowing me. Peter's shocked and he, and he delivers this stirring declaration of conviction and commitment. Any of you ever done that? Oh, let me help you out. Let me preach at you for just a minute. Lord, I'm never going to take another drink of alcohol. I, I, I'm, never, I'm never going out to the bars again. Lord, I, never, I won't do it. Don't make me go all the places that you've been. You, you can finish this now, right? You can finish this. You've made those same bold commitments to the Lord and failed miserably. So don't be too hard on Peter. Jesus says, you'll deny me. Peter's devastated, but he cannot respond further because Jesus continues. Jesus just keeps talking. He just keeps talking about his kingdom and, and stuff that's going to come. I mean, there's Peter. And I'm telling you, Peter's stuck now. You ever been stuck in the middle of a mess and in a situation, you heard one word and you didn't hear anything after that? Doesn't matter what else was said. They're going on with a conversation. Maybe it was a doctor. Maybe it was a, uh, your spouse, now about to be your ex. You're stuck. Whatever else is said, you're stuck. Peter's stuck. Come on, get in his mind for a moment. I've walked with you for three years, Jesus. You're telling me I'm going to turn my back on you? You don't know me, Jesus. Yeah, I do, Peter. So imagine for a moment the range of emotions Peter's dealing with. And just like Jesus said, main point number two. I won't read it. It's Luke 22 again, but verses 54 to 62. Peter did exactly as Jesus said he would do. Of course. Of course it's true because Jesus was the word made flesh and never lied or misspoke. Wouldn't it be great to, to never misspeak? Anyone that's ever said anything that they wish they hadn't said, raise your hands and say, amen, pastor. Amen. Wish you could rewind. Just never came out. Peter is flooded with the bitterness and pain of betrayal. He's sitting there in that moment after he said it the third time around. I don't even know him. I'm not one of them. He's overcome with shame. And I'll say it to you this way. I cannot comprehend this shame because I've never betrayed a human on that level. 
I haven't. And I'm not saying that in pride because I'll turn around and say this. I have been at an altar multiple times over the course of my walk with Jesus, crying bitter tear, tears because I knew I had failed Jesus miserably, knowing better, knowing all the right things to do and doing the opposite. So again, don't be too hard on old Peter. And so what I say, I say it this way, with hindsight, we get the full picture. When Peter denies Jesus that final time, Jesus is looking at Peter, not with judgment, but with love. Because he, he can un know and understand what's going on in their lives. He understands what Peter's going through. He is touched, hear me when I say it, with the feelings of our infirmities. He's touched with that. So he's not looking at Peter going, I told you, bud, screwball. He doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't operate that way. We know Jesus took special efforts to restore Peter. He does it in, in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 21, verses 15 to 17, is that discourse between Jesus and Peter while all of the others are still there with him. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told them. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you. Then, then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. And one more time he repeats, feed my sheep. Three times with Peter. Just as Jesus points out Peter's failure in public, he restores his dignity in public. I've learned a few things by listening to Bishop T.D. Jakes because I know what he would do with this moment. So I'm going to say it to you this way. If, some, if you shame someone in public, don't ask their forgiveness in private. You owe them a public apology. If, you're, if your shaming was done publicly, then your apology should also be done publicly. We're not politicians. I know it's the way it oper people operate in the world. That's not the way of Christ. He told him of his shame and how it would happen, and he also restores him publicly in front of the same men that he told that, that you'll fall, Peter. But get back up, buddy. It's how the church should operate. We're not like the world. So listen, if, you, if, you've, if you've shamed someone publicly, listen, you, people do it all the time. These are nothing but shaming devices on Facebook. You do it all the time. People do it all the time. Twitter. 
Instagram. Pick your poison. We find ways to shame people, but God forbid you actually turn around and say, look, I screwed up. Please forgive me. I said something I shouldn't have said. That was foolishness of me. Go all Christian on them. Hmm. All right, let's, let's move from failure to strength. The only time you are doomed to utter failure is the time you fail to get back up or to get up. I'll say it again. Uh, and I, you're thinking, I, you, you need to spiritualize that, preacher. The only time you are doomed to utter failure, as long as you have breath, God can do anything in your life. If you will believe. The real story for Peter is not failure, but of triumph. But I have pleaded for you in prayer, Simon, that your faith fail, not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. Why don't you stand to your feet? But why, oh why Wide awake in the middle of your nightmare You saw it coming but it hit you out of nowhere And there's always scars When you fall that far We lose our way, we get back up again It's never too late to get back up again And one day, you won't shine again You may be knocked down but not out forever we lose our way, we get back up again So get up, get up, you won't shine again It's never too late
You may be seated. Yeah, it's okay, Pastor Mackay. We can have fun in church. I want you to fast forward with me to Acts chapter 2, verse 14. We see then Peter step forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, all you fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this. And he delivers a message that sees 3,000 souls saved, brought into the kingdom, baptized in water. We leave, if we leave Peter sulking in shame at a fireside or somewhere in the shadows of the night, we miss the best half of Peter's life. But this is what being filled with Holy Spirit can do to you. Peter gets baptized in the Holy Ghost along with those others and He's changed. This is Jesus' words coming to pass for Peter. Remember what Jesus said to Peter? Right after he said, you'll betray me. I have prayed for you. Peter was there. When Jesus called Lazarus out of the grave. Peter was there with that demoniac that nobody could control. Having to live in the, 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 the graveyard with the tombstones chained up. Peter was there when Jesus said, come out. Peter was there. He was on the boat. Jesus got up and said, peace, be still. So why do I tell you all that? Because if Jesus said, I have prayed for you that your faith fail not, then your faith isn't going to fail. But here's the thing. Jesus says that of you. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me, let me correct that. Jesus says that to you. You act like you don't believe me. Hebrews 7.25 puts it this way. Therefore, he is able once and forever. Hallelujah. Once and forever. To save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. Intercede. That's another word for pray. You could insert the word. He, he, he lives forever to pray with God on their behalf. So what's the word for you today? It's get back up. How can I say that? The cross appeared 
as an utter failure. Jesus' capture and trial appear as an utter failure. Jesus' death and burial appear as an utter failure. I don't know how you can sit in your seat right now because you know. You know there's a get back up day coming, don't you? (laughs) Woo! There's a get back up day coming. Because the cross becomes Jesus' greatest triumph. And so in direct answer to Jesus' prayer, Peter becomes the spokesman and leading evangelist for the early church. Stands up there. Just like Jesus said that you're going to fall, Jesus said, I prayed for you that your faith fail not. His faith is on fire right now. He's standing up in front of the same people that had crucified Jesus and he's reminding them that they had crucified Messiah, but that was all in God's plan. And they come to know Jesus. Good news. Same Jesus predicts your triumph. I have the word to back me up on this. Don't doubt it. Who then will condemn us? Come on, say it with me. No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is sitting, (laughs) glory to God, in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Can anything... Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake, we're killed every day. We're being slaughtered like sheep. No. Despite all these things, what things? These terrible things that come into our lives. You see this next word? Not just victory. Overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. I didn't say it to you folks that are online. The folks in house can see the scripture. This is from Romans chapter 8. We started with verse 34, but we're, we're almost done. And I am convinced, verse 38 says, that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. Maybe you've fallen miserably. Maybe you are in the middle of a mess right now. 
want to give up. Tired. Had enough. Jesus has made a way for you. He's made a way for you. I know that because Jesus, through the hand of the same apostle, Paul in this case, writing to a good church in Philippi, he said, and I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue. Look at your neighbor and say, will continue. His work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. So I'll say it figuratively and literally right now. It's time to get back up. So I'll say it literally now. It's time to get up. Whatever your state was, if it, if it was from a horrible fall, if it was from calamity or struggle or difficulty, it's time to get back up or get up. Maybe you're listening to me online. Maybe you're in-house right now and, and, and you've never made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. You've not asked him to forgive you of your sins and to come into your heart and be your Lord and Savior. It's time for you to get up. It's time for you to have hope in Jesus Christ. Perhaps Holy Spirit's dealing with you right now. Maybe you lack faith in the Lord. Maybe you've questioned his reality. But he's moving in your heart right now and you sense his presence. I want the folks in-house today, if you wouldn't mind, just close your eyes for a moment. If you're here right now and not in a right relationship with Christ or listening to me online and you've never invited Christ into your heart. Or perhaps you walked away from him. You did know him. You did walk with him. But you've walked away. It's time for you to get back up. And if that's your story, in-house, lift your hand right where you're at. You're on your own, in your home, listening to us online electronically somehow, some means. Lift your hand. Say, I need Jesus. I need to get things right with the Lord. I need to get back up, preacher. I'm joining you in that prayer. If you're online or you're in-house, pray this prayer with me. Say, Lord Jesus, forgive me for my sins. I've failed you. But I want to stop and thank you, Jesus. Because you made a way. That cross was your triumph. And because of that work, I can be forgiven. Please wipe away my sins. 
help me get back up. From this moment, I'm yours. Amen. Whether you prayed it here in-house or you prayed it online, would you please let us know? Please let us know so that we can help you to know what next steps look like, what you need to do, how you need to move forward. Would you do that? Pastor Mackay is going to help us with a beautiful song that perfectly fits today's message. I hope you've enjoyed today's message and that it has been a blessing to you. Thank you for listening in. If you have met Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, would you please connect with us either at our website, www.centralfamily.net, or perhaps give us a call at 610-865-0577. We'd love to hear from you. Also, if this has been that kind of a blessing to you, would you consider blessing us with a financial gift to make it possible for us to continue to do what we're doing here and taking the gospel not only to the lehigh valley but around the world we want to do our part in reaching the people that god has entrusted to us with the gospel of jesus christ you can help us with your financial gift or sowing a seed to this ministry god bless you have an amazing day remember you can reach us and give through www.centralfamily.net.